the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. requires my repentance to get right with God. And when we do, here's the good news. This is the most liberating news. When we get right with God by repenting, turning from sin and turning towards God, He not only forgives us, He remembers our sins no more. He remembers our sins no more. The slate is wiped clean. The record of offenses and crimes have been expunged. No matter how many times you've turned your back on God, no matter how far you've stumbled in sin, God will look past it all and forgive you if you turn to Him for forgiveness. Today, Pastor Gary is going to show you how good God's grace is when you've become separated from God. He's waiting for you to just accept His gift of salvation and live for Him letting Him move in you to change your heart and to bring Him glory. Is there anything in your life you need to let God take care of so He can work in you? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, as he continues his message, God is better than fair. If it doesn't kill you, to make you stronger. What it should really say is, if it doesn't kill you, it's going to make you really, really sick. If it doesn't kill you, it might give you hepatitis, all right? You may not die, but you're going to get really, really sick. I had a friend of mine who always went around saying that. If it doesn't kill me, it'll make me stronger. If it doesn't kill me, it'll make me stronger. One day, he decided to go into the refrigerator, eat a carton of yogurt that he knew had an expiration date a month old. He said, what could it harm me? If it doesn't kill me, it'll make me stronger. You know, it's all bacteria cultures anyway. Oh, it harmed him. Oh, he spent the next several hours over a toilet. It harmed him, all right. How about this statement? The customer is always right. Now, everybody who's a customer loves that. Those of you who work in customer service just groaned. We heard you. Because the customer's not always right. Where did we come up with this? But it's a proverb we go around saying. Here's another one. Journalists love this one. The pen is mightier than the sword. (laughs) The pen is mightier than the sword. That's because that journalist has never been in combat. Can you imagine some commanding officer like, all right, listen, guys. Guys, we're going to go take the hill. We're going to charge the hill. Remember, no man left behind. And when you run out of ammunition, just take a pen. It's mightier than a sword. You're going to be fine. Or this one, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, fine, then I guess you won't mind me saying that you're stupid for believing that. (laughs) Words do hurt, 
But we go around saying things that have become common proverbs that aren't necessarily true. This is what they're doing here in this day. And the proverb they're quoting there again in verse 2, fathers have eaten sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. Now the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Septuagint translates the phrase, the children's teeth are set on edge, as they suffer pain in the teeth. Meaning, the kids got a toothache because mom and dad were eating too many sour grapes. Or another way of saying it is, mom and dad ate too much candy, and the kids got the cavities. This was the proverb they were quoting as a way to deflect responsibility. This was a way to shift the blame. Mom and dad have done some things, and the only reason that we're in the mess we're in is because mom and dad. We're not really at fault. We're not really responsible. It's not my fault. And this is the saying that they would go around quoting in order to absolve themselves of personal responsibility. And every generation was quoting this, generation after generation. So they're basically saying, it's not my fault. I only worshipped idols because mom and dad worshipped idols. It's not my fault. I only sacrificed to these false gods because mom and dad sacrificed to these false gods. And it plays out in our day in a similar way. I'm a cheat because my dad was a cheat. I'm an alcoholic because mom was an alcoholic. I have a bad temper because dad had a bad temper. I lie a little bit because mom lied a little bit. Listen, I get it. We all get it, don't we? The, The influence of mom and dad is real. But let me say something to you. The influence of God is greater. The influence of God is greater. And at some point, we have to stand up and take responsibility for our lives and stop blaming mom and dad. We're living in a generation that wants to blame everybody. Last time I checked, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, in Christ, you're a new creation. So how about you take responsibility for your life and you start to hand down a new heritage, a different heritage to your children, right? This is what God does in our lives. And all this blame shifting gets us nowhere. It just perpetuates this cycle of blame. This is why God says in verse 3, of our text. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. As I live, that is a statement in the Hebrew that means an oath is taken. And when God says, as I live, he's swearing an oath and he's swearing it by himself because there is no one greater and nothing higher than himself. So he says, as I live, it would be like the way we say, you know, I swear if you do that one more time, I'm going to kick you to the curb. You know, when we start a sentence like that, I swear it's like we're taking an oath, like we're really serious about this. This is what God is saying. As I live, he's swearing by himself because there's nothing and no one higher than himself. He says, do not quote this proverb in Israel anymore. Everybody's going around saying, it's not my fault. And they're blaming somebody else. God says, I want you to stop saying that. Now, objection number one, it's not my fault, dovetails into objection number two. God is not fair. Here's why. Because you see, if they feel like they're living in Babylonia as a result of God's punishment, but they feel like that they are only there in Babylonia because they're only following what mom and dad taught them, and so they don't think they're at fault, then naturally, if they look at their circumstances and they don't like where they are, and they feel like God's punishing them, and they think that God's punishing them for something that they're not at fault concerning, well, then naturally they think God's not fair. God's not fair. I shouldn't even be here in Babylonia. My parents are at fault. They're the ones who taught me to do what I did. And therefore, I'm in a mess here. And God, you're not fair. 
So this is the second issue that God is going to address here. And he addresses it in verse 25 and again in verse 29. Look at verse 25. He says, yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? Now, here's why God is saying that their ways are not fair, because the people were basically saying that they want to live however they want to live. They want to blame whoever they want to blame, and they want to get away with whatever they can get away with and say, that's fair. Wait a minute, wait a minute. God's saying, isn't your way the way that's not fair? You're going around saying we want to live However we want to live, we want to blame whoever we want to blame, and we want to get away with whatever we want to get away with, and we think that that's fair. God's saying, that's not fair. And no reasonable person would think that that life is fair. I just want to live however I want, blame whoever I can, and get away with whatever I can. That's not fair. And so God is saying here, you're the ones really who are living an unfair life. Isn't it instead beyond fair of God? When he says in this chapter, basically summarizing it, whoever takes responsibility for his or her sins and turns from them and turns to God, whoever does this, they will be forgiven. And they will be given a new heart and a new spirit. And God will not hold their past against them. Isn't that better than fair? That's beyond fair. Where else does this exist? Where else can you commit the crime and not have to do the time because you own it, really mean that you're sorry, except with God? God is the one who acknowledges our sorrow, who is merciful to us, who forgives us when we don't deserve it. That's beyond fair. And if you're not amazed at his grace, it's because you haven't lived long enough to regret some things in your life. All right? For anybody who's lived long enough to regret some things in your life, you are amazed at the grace of God. Are you not? God's grace is amazing. He is beyond fair. So he calls out the Jewish people and says, you think you're fair? Let's get this straight. You want to live however you want. You want to blame everybody for your mistakes, your sins, your faults, and then you want to get away with anything and everything. And that's not fair. No, fairness is owning up, taking responsibility, acknowledging our sin, and then appealing to the mercy of God and experiencing His grace and His forgiveness. And God will not hold our past against us. Now, since, as I said at the opening of the Bible study, our society is much like the days of Ezekiel, even though we're 2,500 years following, I think you would agree with me that, in general, there are a lot of people in our culture today who have a low view on personal responsibility and a high view on blaming God for not being fair. And so we can learn some things from this chapter. Let's understand a few things from chapter 18 about how God is better than fair. That's the title of this teaching, how God is better than fair. Than fair. Here's the first thing we need to understand from chapter 18 to get a realistic approach to the whole topic. Number one is that every soul belongs to God. Every soul belongs to God, and thus we are all accountable to Him. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 18 at verse 4, God makes a simple statement right out of the gate. Verse 4, behold, all souls are mine. All souls are mine. 
our mind. The word soul in the Hebrew is nefesh. It means living, breathing being. And God is basically saying here at the beginning that every living, breathing being belongs to God. That God establishes at the beginning of this chapter here, his rightful ownership of every single life. He is the author of life. He is the giver of life. He is the sustainer of life. He is the Lord of life. And God predetermines, did you know this, every single day of your life before the first one came to be. God is ruler over life. And every single soul belongs to him. Which is why, by the way, it is a sinful thing in the taking of an innocent life. Because whenever we take an innocent life, we are taking something that belongs exclusively to God that He alone is entitled to give and take life. And since every life belongs to God, then every life is also accountable to God. When we sin against Him, and everybody does, if we deny our sin or blame others for our sin, then we will be condemned for our sin. But on the other hand, if we acknowledge our sin and repent of our sin, then God is merciful to us and will forgive us. Look at verse 30. This will lead into point number two. Verse 30 there in chapter 18. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent. Circle that in your Bible. Repent. And turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Repent is the word that is used there in verse 30. It's point number two. Repentance is the pathway to mercy. Repent means to change the course of one's life because you're sorry over sin. And so you do an about face. Repent is basically you're going in one direction away from God towards sin And repent means you turn from sin and turn towards God. It's 180 degrees in the opposite direction. The word repent is used more than 100 times in your Bibles. And it's not just exclusive to the Old Testament. It's also very much in the New Testament. In fact, the very first word recorded, spoken by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Likewise, the very first word recorded from Jesus Recorded in Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostle Peter preached a great evangelistic sermon on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, his lead word, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent. It's an important word we must recapture in our vocabulary. In 1937, the American Tract Society sponsored a contest in which they offered a prize of $1,000, which was big money in 1937. They offered $1,000 for the best new book written on one of the, quote, essential evangelical doctrines of the Christian faith. American Tract Society, 1937, $1,000 Whoever can come up with the best book related to the essential doctrine of the Christian faith. Dr. Harry Ironside won the contest. Dr. Ironside was the pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago for many years. And the title of his book that won the contest was Accept Ye Repent. And it was taken from the words of Jesus recorded in Luke 13 verse 3. 
In the King James Version, Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And so Dr. Ironside entitled his book, Except Ye Repent. Let me quote for you the first sentence from Dr. Ironside's introduction of that book in 1937. Quote, fully convinced in my own mind that the doctrine of repentance is the missing note in many otherwise orthodox and fundamentally sound circles today, I have penned this volume out of a full heart, end quote. Repentance, he says, is the missing note in many otherwise sound churches. And my friends, if that was so in 1937, how much more true is it today? Some churches aren't talking about repentance. They don't like that word. The modern church today doesn't often talk about repentance. The modern church today, instead of saying repentance, preaches tolerance. That's what the modern church is preaching today. Tolerance instead of repentance. Because repentance confronts sin. Tolerance either denies it or redefines it altogether. Tolerance is a message that basically will make you feel good in the moment, but will not liberate anybody. Tolerance is basically the message in replacement of repentance, which is an illusion that no one needs changing. That God accepts you just as you are, that He made you just as you are, and He's fine with you just as you are. No change necessary. Repentance, on the other hand, requires an honest assessment of one's life against the standard of God's unchanging truth. And where my life falls short of that perfect standard of God, that's called sin, and it requires my repentance to get right with God. And when we do, here's the good news. This is the most liberating news, friends. When we get right with God by repenting, turning from sin and turning towards God, He not only forgives us, He remembers our sins no more. He remembers our sins no more. The slate is wiped clean. The record of offenses and crimes have been expunged. He tells us this. Look further. This is point number three for those of you taking notes. God not only forgives our sins, He remembers them no more. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, But if a wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, that's repent, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Now, it's not that God is forgetful. God doesn't forget anything. He knows all things. But what it literally means is that he chooses to no longer hold our sins against us. And he doesn't revisit the past with us. It's gone as far as God is concerned. This is consistent with other places in the Bible. Hebrews 8 verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Jeremiah 31 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. When we repent, nothing about our past is revisited by God. Don't you wish that other people treated you the same way God treats you? Hmm? Don't you wish that the people that you had wronged would not only say, I forgive you, 
but forget about it, right? I'm never going to bring this up again. I'm never going to remind you. I'm never going to drudge up the past. That's what God does with us. Don't you wish your friends, don't look at somebody next to you. Don't you wish your spouse treated you the same way? Whenever I do a wedding ceremony, I will always quote and read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love chapter. And in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13, there's this verse that says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And as I'm reading through that in a marriage ceremony, and the couple's like, you know, they're looking at each other like, oh, it's so special, it's so wonderful. And they're not hearing a thing I'm saying. They're just looking at each other. That's oh, so great. Yeah, I just can't wait for the honeymoon, all the stuff. Okay, all right. I get to 1 Corinthians 13 at that verse, love keeps no record of wrongs. And I stop, I stop, and I stop right there. And I say, now listen, I'm going to repeat this again. And then they look at me. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And they're looking at me. And I said, listen, there's going to be the tendency that both of you from time to time are going to get historical. They look at me, they're like, don't you mean hysterical? I mean historical. You're going to want to bring up the history. You're going to want to bring up the past. Love keeps no record of wrongs. This is our father. He's better than fair. He's better than fair. Psalm 103, 11 to 12, for as the heavens are higher above the earth, So great is his love, his mercy towards those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's better than fair. Lastly, number four, God is for us and doesn't want any to die separated from him. Notice here in this same chapter, verse 23, he asks a rhetorical question. God does. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God? and not that he should turn from his ways and live. He repeats it at the end of the chapter. Look at the very last verse, verse 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, notice his pleading, turn, repent, turn, and live. The Lord will speak this again in chapter 33, verse 11. You don't need to turn, but you can just jot it down. Ezekiel 33, 11, I'll read it to you. God says, say to them, Ezekiel, Say to them, as I live, he uses that oath statement again, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? See, it's not enough that God simply feels badly for those who are unrepentant towards him. He actually did something about it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus dies on a cross. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. He satisfied the wrath of God and assumed the punishment that was intended for us. Though he had committed no sin, he took the penalty for our sin and suffered in our place. It's the story of the great exchange. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Something undeserved, something clearly unearned, that God did for us. And all we have to do in response is own up, accept responsibility, repent, And believe by faith that what Jesus Christ did on that cross to redeem us is enough. That's why Jesus said it's finished. You can't improve upon this. God made a way where there was no way. 
to bring us to Him. Why? Because He's better than fair. It's the love of God for us. He went above and beyond to win us for Him. Do you know Him? The radio broadcast of Cornerstone Connection comes to you from Cornerstone Chapel, located in Leesburg, Virginia. You heard Pastor Gary teach from the book of Ezekiel, one of the many prophets in Old Testament times. This book gives us a good glimpse of the seriousness of sin to God. We have a tendency to minimize the severity of sin in our lives, but not so with God. He wants us to recognize sin for the evil it is. Maybe like me, you've found yourself believing that sin is no big deal or that some sin is worse than others. Sin is sin in God's eyes, and when we refuse to address the sin present in our own hearts, He, as our righteous judge and authority, will deal with our sin according to His perfect wisdom. Friends, let's us confess our sin and turn to Jesus. Did you enjoy today's message? We hope so. Be sure to take the time to hear more messages from Pastor Gary. Head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc to get started. While you're there, check out our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. Don't miss out on this amazing resource to dive deeper into God's Word. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.